so I, I know you guys know this because I've been talking about it incessantly. Uh, but I love October. I love October because I love Halloween. I love uh, vampires and monsters and <laughs> witches and warlocks and werewolves and murder. All that stuff. I love it. I'm into October. I always have been. It's my favorite month of the year, and that's just all there is to it. But something's happening in 2020, and it's messing up my October experience. Here's what's going on. I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and every day in October, it's been 90 degrees. Not a cloud in the sky, just hot all the time. No weather to speak of, like nothing, nothing happening. Just clear skies, hot weather. I haven't worn pants since March, I don't think. Now, for those of you who are shoveling snow, sitting in the cold, watching the rain fall, uh, <laughs> those of you who are cursing the cold weather and hearing me reporting that I, I'm living in some kind of Beach Boys song and, uh, and I'm complaining about it, I, I know. I know how that sounds and I'm sorry. But the fact is, I want some weather, and I'm not getting it. The closest I've come is I thought I felt a slight breeze the other day, and I got really excited. Uh, but it wasn't. It was the air conditioning from my car. The October experience is not what it should be right now. Um, and it's kind of messing me up because I love this month, and it doesn't really feel like October. It feels like July. And uh, it's a little bit of a bummer. You know, people are putting up their Halloween decorations and they look great. But, you know, a, a skeleton or a graveyard motif under the burning sun, mm, not scary. Doesn't have, doesn't have that chilling effect that, uh, that it should. It's kind of like if you, <laughs> if you went to Peter Murphy's house because, you know, you probably have his address and he's maybe expecting you. And, uh, and you think, I wonder what Peter Murphy lead singer of Bauhaus, is doing today, uh, Saturday at 2 o'clock. I'll pop by and see what's going on. And you expect him to answer the door uh, having just uh, you know, stepped out of his coffin. You expect him to be wearing black. You expect him to be a vampire. But instead, he answers the door wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. And you look behind him uh, with hope. You're hoping to see a coffin but uh, but no, it's not there. All you hear is the sound of a blender because Peter Murphy is making a smoothie. That's what this October is like. Peter Murphy in a Hawaiian shirt. And I'm not enjoying it. But I am going to enjoy giving you a copy of my book, my brand new book. It's a young adult novel. It's called Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight. It's a perfect novel to read in October anywhere but California, though it does take place in San Francisco. The book is about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders. There's thrash metal. There's Russians with cleavers. There's ninjas in Tom Ford suits. And of course, there's organ removal. It's a, it's a very October book. And I want to give a copy to you for free. Here's all you have to do. Email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com, and tell me how you're going to spend your Halloween. The best answer wins a copy of the book. I'll sign it. I'll send it to you. What more could you ask for? Just tell me how you're spending your Halloween, 
and uh, I will read your answers with great pleasure, because me, I'll be spending mine making smoothies with Peter Murphy. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of A Certain Ratio, a band which features my guest today on the program, Donald Johnson. Let me tell you a little bit about A Certain Ratio and Donald Johnson. So, one time in high school, I was listening to A Certain Ratio on my Sony Walkman. And this girl, she was like this hot mod girl. Her name was Storm. And I had a huge crush on her, and she said to me, Who are you listening to? And I was like, here's my chance to really impress her and i said i'm listening to a certain ratio and she was like that's cool what do they sound like and i go they kind of sound like and i just literally hit a blank because i didn't know how to describe what i was listening to what do a certain ratio sound like well they kind of uh they kind of are so hard to categorize that they made me look stupid in front of storm by the way, I'm not mad at a certain ratio for that. I already look stupid in front of Storm. This was just adding to the stupid pile. Anyway, look, I couldn't describe what a certain ratio sounded like. It was nearly impossible to do that job. But guess what? All these years later, I still can't do it. I don't know how to describe the music of a certain ratio. So Storm, if you're listening, nothing's changed. But listen... Let me try. Let me at least approximate for you in language what a certain ratio actually sounds like. But before I do that, let me tell you a little bit about this band just so you know who I'm talking about. A Certain Ratio got their start in 1977, and though they were billed as a post-punk outfit, that label doesn't really tell the story of their sound. Utilizing trumpets, electronics, and jagged guitars, the Manchester outfit has the distinction of literally sounding like nobody else. ACR put out the first single on Factory Records. It was called All Night Party, and it sold out almost as quickly as it was pressed. An impossibly cool blend of funk, disco, Latin percussion, and electro grooves, ACR's 11-song discography is a fascinating, captivating, and rewarding listen. Over the years, members came and went. The band went on hiatus and then came back from hiatus, only to go on hiatus again. Sometimes there was a year between albums, sometimes a decade. Sometimes, like in the case of the new one, nearly 12 years passed. Whatever. This is an unconventional band, so expecting conventional things from them, well, that's just futile. 
As for the new album, ACR Loca, well, it's more of the same of that deliciously uncategorizable music. It's industrial, it's post-punk, it's electro-soul, one never really knows. But one also can't stop listening because ACR, well, they're brilliant. As for Donald Johnson, he's a fascinating and lovely guy. And this is just a really cool conversation about music and how we listen to it. I think you're going to enjoy it. So here's me and drummer Donald Johnson of A Certain Ratio right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. think you're a bit more introspective i think that's what's going on a lot more introspective but also anxious because no one knows when where how what's what's going to happen you can only predict and project yeah i spoke to a lot of musicians in the early stages of this and they felt like oh this is okay i'll get creative i'll use my time wisely that was in the first two months (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then as we got to four and five i could start to hear tension and worry <laughs> absolutely that's spots on alex absolutely how it is yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah because no one knows um especially in the uk you know people don't um our government doesn't take uh, kind of the entertainment industry as, as as some kind of serious force you know so it's taken a long time to get um you know money and, and direction and headings and Things keep changing in the UK as well regarding where we're having local lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. So God knows how that's going to work. If you were, if you were doing a tour, then all of a sudden somewhere has an, a, an area has a lockdown. How does that work? God knows. Yeah, I mean, how does that work? <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. Exactly. No one knows. And also, I mean, you and I are around the same age, but... We are people who have to worry a little bit about our health. And so I wonder yep. for you, like, do you feel comfortable if they say, hey, green light, let's go? Um, do you still, would you feel a little bit like guarded about playing live again? I'm, I'm, I'm totally guarded about this whole thing anyway. I, with, with in and around my family, I've only, I've maintained only a few bubbles. I've maintained a bubble with my professional people, i.e. the band, the studio, the engineer there, you know, all those kind of things, our rehearsal room, those kind of bubbles. And uh, with my family, that is it. I don't take anybody's word for it's A-OK. I've been out once for a meal with my, with my wife and, uh, for her birthday. And that was a very socially uh, divided situation, which was fine. Um, other than that, I'd really just go to the store and, and nothing else. I was even, we've even been talking about um, going away, going outside of the UK for holidays. And I, I just don't see that happening for at least another year. You know, um, people are saying, oh, it's fine to travel now, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not. I'm waiting until I think it's OK. Then I'm giving it another six months or whatever after that period before, before going. Because what I'm finding at the moment is that a lot of things are based around finance. They want finance to kind of um, lead the way and the health situation, that's, that's last in the chain. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? That, that's how I feel. Again, people of our age, 
<laughs> I kind of, you know, been around the block a few times, seen it kind of, you know, seen how things kind of work. And that, I'm just, that's what I'm reading. Every time I see something, I see it based on finance. Right, everybody go back to work because we need this economy to start. Not is, is the situation you're in, um, you know, acceptable to you in terms of, you know, your work habits, the places you frequent, the places other people are frequenting. I mean, there's still a lot of people that don't wear masks. Yeah. And I don't want, and I don't want to have the mask argument with someone that doesn't wear masks. I just want them to be a sufficient distance away from me which is fine. Don't wear your mask, but be the correct distance away from me while doing so. I'm right. happy with that. Yeah. Right. Otherwise yeah. we're going to have a problem. Yeah, exactly. It's their choice to wear or not to. I won't convince them to wear one. They should convince me not to wear one. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So you're, I like your policy. Basically, as soon as you get the green light, you'll add six months and then you'll feel okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm with, I'm with you on that. Totally. Um, mm. in, in terms of your, daily practice like how are you are you sort of being musical every day or what do you how does it how does that look for you um i'm trying to i'm trying to maintain the thing that i always do you know i mean i don't know if you can see just let me just so there you see oh yeah there they are yeah <laughs> so nice um, cars yeah they um i try and pick one of those up at least once a day in some way, shape, or form. I don't force it, as you all know, with creativity. You never force it. You just wait for it to, to come along, you know. Um, yeah, there's a few things that have kind of got cooking, got working out, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I still keep busy, you know, doing the mental gymnastics around creativity. But I don't force it. I've never forced it. I've always let it just happen as it's going to happen. Plus, the other thing is, you know, it's very easy to be writing everything about COVID <laughs> or right. I'm staying in or I'm not going out or it's, you know, you know what I mean? And I yeah. don't want to do that. There's more experiences in the world than just that, you know? Yeah. You don't want a certain ratio to have a COVID anthem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> yeah. I know. There's only so many things you can say about that. And I mean, for you, when, when the band was inactive and in, in the periods of time where it was inactive, were you maintaining mu a musical discipline or would you, were there ever a time where you would put it down? Um, no, not really. Still, still doing stuff. When Ratio uh, wasn't working, I was working with other bands. I was doing production work and doing, um, you know, sessions and that kind of thing and writing and just, you know, helping out other guys that, that kind of thing. So yeah, always active, always trying to keep active. There's never a point where it's been zero. Mm. And it's a lot easier now to have, you know, all the digital things that we have around us to be able to create and throw ideas down. It's a lot easier now than it used to be. So what did your, in terms of your own musical identity, do you, can you remember the age where you went, okay, this is it. This is who I am. This is how I self-identify. Um, no, I struggle with that a lot, really. Um, I know I was probably about 12, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that region. Um, but I've always, I've always listened to an um, eclectic mix of everything, which I'm still doing to this day. So I don't, I've never defined, I think the definition for me of defining myself is defining what I'm going to listen to next, even if I dislike it. Even if I dislike it, I need to listen to it to know why I dislike it. Don't just dislike it because everybody else says, oh, you should hate, I don't know, X band. I listen to them and go, well, no, I like that. 
I'll give you for instance, this is not a dislike. This is took me a long time to understand what it was. Um, bands like Coldplay and things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with it at all. I just didn't get it. And I, then I sat down and went, okay, you don't get it. How comes millions of other people get it and you don't? What, what's, what's that missing ingredient? You know, the same with Radiohead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just didn't get it. And I think when the penny finally dropped with both of them, I understood that it was a, it was like every other thing where they have a strong following that's followed them for a long, long time. And I'm dialing in as they're older and more successful and miss that, that, you know, miss that trip, so to speak. And then go, well, what is it? Why, why do so many people love them, you know? And that's what I mean. I'll do things like that based on things I don't know. And, and, and I'm not saying I like those two bands, but I, I needed to know at a time I didn't understand why everybody liked them and what it was about. It might seem obvious to a lot of people now, but when you don't grasp something, you know, you, 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 you wrangle with why. Why is it? There's millions of people that get this. I don't. What's, what's going wrong? What, you know, that kind of thing about it all. What if it's a band that millions of people don't necessarily like? Say, say a band like one of my favorite bands, but it took me a while to get there. It was like The Fall. The Fall yeah. it took me a while to get there. Um, yeah. but, but once I got there, it was like, okay. But what yeah. about a band that you initially don't like that, say, millions of people don't have a thing about? That I don't like or that I do like? That you don't, say you don't, you don't hear it. You don't understand it. And you kind of go, what is this? Like, do you, will you return to it? And will you try to get your head around it? Oh, absolutely so. Absolutely. That's a personal challenge to me. As to, as to like uh, what's going on. There's a band years and years and years ago on mute called uh, Holger Hiller. Um, I remember them. Which, you do you remember them? Yeah. I remember well, them, yeah. That's, that was a perfect example of uh, how to get into something. I didn't get the cut up idea, the, 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 the bits. Do you, do you understand what I mean? How, yeah. they, how they're doing things. Then, then you start listening and you start hearing these great rhythms. Then when you, if you equate the cut-up idea to the William Burroughs idea of cut-up with words, if they do it with music, then, then it starts making a rationale, you know? And then, then I got it. Then the penny dropped. You're the first guy I've ever interviewed who's said that there's something instructive about saying like, okay, I'm having a reaction which is not a positive reaction. Let's try to see what that's all about. Yeah. Well, that is, there's two sides to every coin, isn't there? I mean... Um, you shouldn't, I'm not one of these guys where, you know, everybody says, oh, I don't know. Like when Take That were big here and people, oh, I don't like Take That. I still like Take That. I thought they wrote some great songs. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought some, of the, some of the things that they were doing wasn't what I would do. They're younger guys than me. They're moving in a different kind of, with a different kind of energy and whatever. Still wrote great songs. They still worked with great musicians. They still had a great production. Their production line was always fantastic. You could never argue with it. It matched anybody else in the world, you know. Um, but I wouldn't say I was a take that fan, but I admired the guys for doing what they did and how they did it. You know, it's, again, it sounds weird coming from someone who's in a certain ratio, but I'm, 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 I'm giving you the other end of the spectrum why you need to look at it and go, Okay, I can find good things in that. You know, I know everybody knows Gary's a great songwriter and he use, uses great chords when, when doing things. And, you know, um, I like that. But if that relates to the same with every good thing you listen to, whether it's Bowie, whether it's, um, you know, any other artist of that kind of stature, it, it, you, you find the good thing in there and then you move with it. 
you know? If I don't like it or I can't, it doesn't get to me, I'm still not gonna go, I don't like it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna find out why that is. I'm gonna wanna know why that is. Keep going, you know? So I, don't, I won't diss them because I can't say I don't like it because there's no definite, uh, no. Right, and like for me, like, I mean, as an example, like Back for Good is one of the yeah. greatest pop songs Absolutely. I've ever heard. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I, so then the challenge would be, what if you listen to something and you're completely indifferent to it? In other words, you don't love it, you don't hate it, it's just nothing happens. <laughs> I just, well, I just go, that's one of, you know, that's me throwing the rod into the, uh, the river and just missing the catch. The fish goes by and, and, I don't, and I don't catch it and I just wait for the next one. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interestingly, how did you how did you respond to pop music? I mean, say bands like Oasis or the Stone Roses, did you, what was your reaction to stuff like that? Oh, loved all that, loved it all. Absolutely loved it. Oasis, Stone Roses, all that kind of thing. Loved it. They were uh, at the top of their game. They were absolutely the best. And again, when you break it down to its, its elements, it's absolute simplicity, you know, three and four chords. Uh, no, with three and four chords with great words. That's what, that's what a great song is. The other day I was working on, um, I was uh, playing about and messing about and learning fame and realizing how simple it is. I've always sang it and listened to the production and listened to everything else, but played it and went, this is really simple. The same with, um, you know, lots, lots of great songs, lots of great Mark Boland songs and, you know, all that kind of, and you realize that they're very, very simple. But that, that's, that's what they, what brings you in, you know, the simplicity of it all. Yeah, I'm a big, big pop fan. I love all that kind of stuff. Um, I, did, I wasn't indifferent to it at all and still do. When you, when you hear stuff, do you immediately start breaking it down in your brain of like, how did that come together? Do you think of it in a, in a production sense or can you enjoy yes. the stand first? No, right. You, you get, that's a really, really good question. Um, it took me a long time <laughs> to start deconstructing it as a person first, as a, as a fan and stop going because you know the production routines, because you know how it's been done. You can listen to a, a take and you go, uh, well, there's no breath there. So I know he, 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 that was the drop in from that point. Or I can hear different things on the drums where, um, you know, certain things happen and you go, you can't do that because you can't play two things at one time while, while that's going on. So what I've learned to do, uh, like, it's exactly the same with music as the same with film, because once you, you start making videos, you, you get the process of how a film's put together and, and everything. So what I tend to do when listening to anything is suspending my belief system. Mm. Today, for instance, I listened to the whole of the Doves album from start to finish. Now, Jimmy and the boys, they're great mates of mine and everything. I'm big fans of the Doves and everything. But I didn't sit there going, wow. Oh, well, ooh, that sounds good, or that sounds good, or whatever. As soon as something came in, I went, oh, yes, I like that. I like where they went there, or I like what was going on. And then when it finished, the deconstruction ideas started right. coming around. Like, right, Jimmy, okay, I see. You've done that bass, and you've made that bass sound clicky like uh, Space Odyssey, because you've used the Space Odyssey bit in this other part, and da-da-da-da. And I just find it very clever how they've used lots of thread. I'm yet to talk to them to confirm this, but... This is all in my head at this point, you know. Um, so, yeah, it is about suspending your belief because you know what goes on. And you have the, the ability to compartmentalize and say fan first and then yep. post-mortem after. Yeah. And I'll tell you when I first, I'll, I'll tell you why, why and how I learned that. Being on Factory years and years ago, 
um, I used to be given the, um, the test pressings to, be, to listen to. Rob Gretton, for instance, would give me, I don't know, Blue Monday or, you know, something mega and listen to it. And I'd hear, I'd listen to it, analyze it, look at it, da, 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 listen to the technical technicalities of it, and then feed back to the boys or whatever, you know, uh, what was going on. But what that, what I realized what that was doing, that was taking away my little bit of fandom, you know, because I'd heard it six, eight months before it was going to come out. I wasn't raving or going, oh, it's great. You know, I just, it was great anyway. And I went, right, next one, please. Because I'd already heard that one. So I had to kind of bring myself into check when, when doing that and develop this thing that we're talking about now, the suspend belief thing, you know, where um, I just go, well, no, I'm not, I know how it's made, but I'm not, I want to listen to it. And I want it to wash over me in the way that they intended. You know what I mean? Because not every fan gets to know, you know, how... Um, a record is constructed like a film. We all watch a film and we think for 90 minutes it started and they just started, they filmed it from there to there. We right. all know that there's 20, 30, 40,000 takes <laughs> in that 90 minutes that has to be redone. Then it has to be redubbed. Then it has to fold these guys coming. Then, you know, all that kind of thing happens. But you have to suspend your belief system and go, yes, I know all that, but what are they, what, what are they trying to pull through for me? So yeah, I do that with film and music a lot. Is there a certain kind of competitive part of you that when you do break something down, you go, oh, wow, that was pretty good. I got to... <laughs> yeah, oh, I, believe me, I'll, I'll take it, yeah. I mean, I've been uh, listening to uh, Jackknife Lee, Jackknife Lee's album and listening to, uh, listening to that from a fan perspective. It's great you asked that question. And from a production perspective. And from a production perspective, it's absolutely phenomenal. It is. It, it's, it's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things I've heard this year. But the thing that I think Jack's got that not a lot of others have got, and maybe it's just his genre of music, he's got a low-end clarity in that music that, oh, it's just, you know, that, that's, that's my new thing to find that. That's going to be my, my go-to. No, I want to sound like Jack Knife Lee, <laughs> you know, at the low end. But I still love the song. I still love the production. I still love all, all of that. But I found something that, um, that we don't kind of, um, we do in our own way, but we don't do like him. And I want to kind of decipher his and see if it fit with ours, you know? Yeah, it's interesting how that kind of, when, when your ear becomes that attuned and you kind of go, mm. oh, maybe I could throw some of those elements into my own work. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. The Doves record is a really good record to reference because I'm about six or seven listens into it now. Oh, yeah, right. I'm, I'm just one today, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I mean, they, yeah. they had, you know, a decade to sort of get that architecture, yeah. right? So it's, yeah. it's very, it's, it's a, um, the textures on that record are amazing. I tell you what, I, I sent Jimmy a little message today and I said, for me, it's a cinematic masterpiece. That's how I define that album, a cinematic masterpiece, because it was, it's just, like you just said, all those different textures, and that's what I'm listening to. Like when I hear, um, when I hear him say, and I'm gonna take you down. Just that little bit of production in that, where they block out everything else, and they make Jimmy come forward, and Jimmy's voice still sounds um, valvy and out there in the front, and, and you know what I mean? Just little things like that, you go, oh, and I'm listening to his voice, and I'm going, on this record, Jimmy, you found your voice, man. You found, you found what it is, you know. It, it, you, and sometimes, and that's a weird thing now, because as, as someone who sings as well, I'm still looking for that element, you know what I mean? Because I've got lots of different voices. Same as Jimmy, he's got lots of 
different voices. But on this, I just hear a, a quality about what, what he's doing um, that's just, oh, it's just beautiful. Like you say, the textures of all of the way they've done the drums, there's not a lot of cymbal work going on in there and stuff. It's just great, great rhythms. All that string stuff that just comes in out of nowhere all of a sudden is like, bang, it's just like there, you know? Oh, gorgeous record. Yeah, it's, it's incredible that I just love that band. I'm, I'm so happy mm -hmm. that they're back. I mean, mm -hmm. but also there's something really interesting about you guys have the same amount of time between albums. Yes. And, right? Around. Um, oh, I'm a year longer than them. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys have a couple of years. Yeah. But I mean, and I our wonder. Is our comparison, sorry, to be too Our comparison is the same amount of years and the same amount of tracks. Oh. Got 10 tracks on theirs and we've got 10 tracks on ours. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder sometimes, like the fan in me says, oh, mm. in 12 years, we could have had six albums from you. But don't you think yeah. that, like, the, from the, on the creative side, that it needed all those years to cook. It needed to properly, right? Yeah, with us, with us it's, yeah, yeah. I see what you're getting at and you're right to an extent. But with us, there was a lot of other things going on. For instance, we were, um, we were doing a lot of reissues. We were still playing gigs all over the world. We were still writing. We we're pulling all that together. But what we probably, it's a luxury and a curse at the same time where you can do those things and you're not, what we, the same thing as what the Doves did, I think, on this album. We didn't give ourselves a time frame. We need to do X by X. It's just when it's right, it's right. And it'll, it'll rise when it happens. And every time I see an interview from the guys, it's kind of saying the same thing. It's so weird how you move along those same um, avenues together, even though your musical styles are, are different, you know, but you, you, your creativity aspect of it is the same. So yeah, with us, it was, it was, we were doing all those things, trying to pull all those threads together, re-listening back to, to stuff, which is something we never did for a long, long time. And hearing stuff that you did 30 years ago, you know, I'm going, wow, what, what were we trying to do then? You know, trying to remember that moment sort of thing. Um, pulling all that together, having a great working relationship over the last few years you know, uh, with mute, pulling, pulling stuff together. And then as we were writing and doing all those, we're doing reworks as well with all different bands, working with different people, creating, you know, new different sounds. Obviously that was wearing off on all of us in, a, in that subliminal sense we talked about before, you know, where you, you, everybody's like storing stuff up. And then we were just writing and then things just came together. And then when we decided that we're right, we're going to look at doing an album. The only thing we did was go um, with mute on the conversation was going right we're only going to have 10 tracks so that made us focus straight away on making what we're gonna have really good so i i don't think we did I don't, we, we wasn't going to do the like you said you could have done 30 tracks and then try to pick 10 out of out of that. it didn't work like that as they were coming along you kind of felt oh this is the right one okay let's move here if it wasn't it was kind of x'd out and we'll, we'll get to that later but let's work with these and i think that's why our album sounds as good as it does really because it was it was focused every every everything about it was focused and going how do how would we listen to an album that was the other thing that we got back to how did we used to listen to an album what was it like when you put the needle on that record sit back and and uh, and listen to it all. And I think what was great was obviously the, the 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 Tim Twitter parties and that kind of thing. You know, being as big as they are all around the world, that kind of stimulated us us as well. You know, and we just thought, yeah, you know, the that that forty minute 
kind of window used to be the thing for everybody in the world all the time. You know, side one, then side two, That's you know, right. and then go side one again. But it was organic, wasn't it? You had to go and touch it. You know, that, that, was, a, that was another thing. So we tried to kind of keep those elements about what we used to do and put them back into it, you know, as well as developing new music, doing the thing that's, that's, that's your own USP that sometimes you don't know, but you, you're just trying to head there. Brothers and sisters, we all need, we all need to come together to fight, fight the queen. They're inventing pain for the short-term gain. We need to bounce, regain.
I think Tim's listening parties have reminded us that yeah. an album is an experience. Correct. Right. It's a whole thing. We've been so used to these short bursts of everything you know, all the time. And you, you're absolutely right. When you go back yourself, you know, we did, a, we did Force. We did, a, we did a Twitter party for Force. And Tim said two things. He said, one, pre prepare and be ready and have stuff ready before you go. And two, it's going to go so fast, you will not believe it, you know. And yeah. he was absolutely right. But the fact that you sat back and you listened to the whole thing as a whole experience, as, as you put it, that, that's what was important. You know, the first experience was we went to the shop, we picked, up, we picked up the sleeve, so we held something physical. Then we read every single note on the sleeve, who made coffee at what time and who did what and who else was there. And who, <laughs> who's that guy in the middle doing that backing vocal that, that's, that's wherever? Oh, that's Herbie Hancock or, you know, what, whatever. He was passing in the studio and da, 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 da. And all those things came to you about this organic piece of plastic that you, that you kind of had. And then you would carefully, carefully, religiously put it on this dust-free environment, pick up the needle, make sure there's nothing there, blow on the needle, and then slowly place the needle on. And that was you invested for the next 20 minutes, wasn't it? That's right. That's yeah. right. When I was younger and I had a girl coming over, I would spend hours trying to figure out what is the album I'm going to put on. Yep. when she yep. comes over and I would try to sort of, so you would literally, you would spend so much time thinking about that kind of thing. Um, yep. my, my brain got kind of screwed up from the internet where I just started thinking in terms of songs and, and not yeah. albums. And Tim's party yes. kind of reminded me that an album is like a novelistic or a cinematic experience Correct. in your life that it transports you back to those moments of which I hadn't thought Correct. about in 30 years. Correct. And well, that's what's happened. You see, slowly we were being changed from the album thing to playlists. Yeah? Right. Right. So because it, again, because it was so easy, easy, yeah. Just oh, just add your favorite song in, and then listen to your favorite song in terms of whatever was going on. I mean, I got sucked into that like everybody else did, and then I, I started to push it away, and then started listening to, say, old Asimus albums that I'd listened to years and years ago, you know, and and hadn't listened to in its entirety again, and sat there, and I make myself now listen to it again in the way that. You know, now because we're so used to skip if you don't like a little bit or it's too long or whatever, and we'll no, sit there and have that experience. It's there for a reason. It's there for a reason for you to enjoy. It's not there, they never, no one anywhere ever invented a piece of music or a piece of advertising for you to skip it by, yeah? It's there for you to see, to take hold of, to ingest in some way, shape or form. So you're a, you're a thousand percent right. That's exactly what that experience is. And I'm finding that, and it's great when I find new albums, you know, to, um, or new artists doing different kinds of things. Um, I've been listening to, like I say, Jack Knife Lee. I'm listening to a guy called um, Kamazi, Kamazi Williams. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more jazz. Um, who else have I been listening to? Um, Jordan, Jordan Rakai that came out a little while ago, but it, it kind of, he's, he's, I think he's, is he Australian or, or something like that? That's his original, well, where he's from, but I think he's down in London. He's with that, you know, the London scene and all that, that kind of thing that's going on. Um, but that's, that's great. Again, it's just something different, something mind blowing. Production on it sounds great. His voice sounds great. You know, all those kind of things. They're doing things, you know, they're doing, they're, they're breaking out of certain genres, like in the Kamezi thing. They, there's this piece where, 
they just sat there and you can tell it's them recording in the car and they're just talking about an event that happened in the car. Then they just link it to a piece of music. But you get, it's trying to say, this is what our real life is. We, we do that, then we do this, you know? I heard an actor, I can't remember who it was, years ago saying he doesn't watch his own movies. And, and I didn't understand that. And, and I'm an author, but I don't read my own books. So when you were at doing Tim's party and you were listening to your own music, um, I'll bet that was the first time you'd listened to it front to back in a long time. Absolutely so. Um, Mike Joyce has just done exactly the same thing with uh, The Queen is Dead. Um, he's done the same thing. And, and every musician, when you get on that party, they say the same thing. Because you don't, as you, as you well know, like you say, you've written your book, you're writing the next book and thinking for the idea for the book after it. Yeah? That's right. It, that's right. It, 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 and that's the same with songs, you know. Um, I'm writing this song, but there's, 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 there's lots of other things going on. You know, I've got songs that are, um, that are bass orientated, that are piano orientated, that are uh, acoustic guitar orientated. They're not the same thing, but I'm, I'm moving around, getting those things and pulling those, those threads together. But it was wonderful to hear because then it takes you back to, to how you created, what, what you did, you know, those little memories that you've not talked about for 30 or 40 years. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, we did that. And this is how that happened. You know, those kind of things. And that's yeah. what I kind of... Was that experience for you also, was there a part of you that went, oh, that was pretty good? <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, when, when we've made a, a, an ACR record, there's a, I am very, I'm always very pleased with the production element of it because that, that's, that's always the hardest challenge. How do you make something that stands up and has an element to a degree that's future-proof? Right. Yeah, that you could, that we're talking about it now, you, you've heard things, you know, and you, you'll still play them later because they still have an element about them where you go, I like that. Whereas there's certain instruments and certain things you can do with a certain sound, you know, remember the 90s sound when there was more uh, that piano, ding, 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 you know, that kind of thing. You can tell straight away, bang, that's 90s. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just, just that kind of flavor. Doesn't mean you can't still use it now in the 2000s, but that sets you back when, when that's the high-end thing in the production. We're tending to do a lot of things now that, and around our records where we're trying to produce records like those great records we used to hear, you know? And uh, we're young kids and we didn't have the access to the elements that they did. We had to kind of, uh, you know, work our imagination, use our ears, try and you right. know, break boundaries by, by imagining how you think it would happen. What, what, what can you do? Reference the sound to someone and then they go, oh, I think it went through this and did this. And, oh, right, yeah, we're on the right track and then moving along. So I'm always very happy with, um, with our songs and our productions for albums because the thing is I can listen back to them all. You know, I don't want to listen back to them all, but I, can, I could put on anything from the Rob's Records era or the Factory era or the, you know, and still play it and think, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not something that you would, it has a fixed point on a, t on a timeline, right? Correct. At all. Correct. Correct. Not at all, no. Because that's not, the, the fixed point is, and this is a weird thing, isn't it, with records and books. When you write a book and I receive it, I'm just getting it now. You constructed that thing four years ago in your head. It took a year before it was, everything was read and, uh, you know, the same process as the record. You went through it all, made sure everything was right. You, you mastered it. You did this, you did that. You got the sleeve, you did everything. Bang, it goes out to the public. And the public get it. It's brand new to them. They go, oh, we love this. You're all over it. That was a three-year event. That was three years in the, in the, in the past <laughs> for you right. guys, you know. 
it's a, it's a little like local. Local took two years in, in its construction to, to make, you know, um, just because of all the, the other activities that were going on. I'm not, and this isn't to diss it, I'm just saying that when it comes out on the 25th, it's brand new to everybody else, but it's kind of, we're almost moving on, but you've got to stay, you've got to be on that same wave as everybody else now because they're only just getting it, you know? And I think that's the thing that's spurs us as creative people we're already on to the next thing we're already moving on to the next thing and enhancing the great thing about music though is that we can put that out like that and then play it different you know because you've you've learned you've learned what you can do with it you, you get what i mean it's more difficult for you because you can't go write another book about the book that you just wrote the book about right you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah you, you can't do that but for us we can do a reinterpretation and i heard something great on the radio today that says why don't more artists kind of um, uh, reinterpret their own stuff in different ways? Why don't you do the cover version of your song before someone else does it? I strip it down or whatever. And that's why I used to like love the old MTV things. You know, you'd hear great songs, but just with an acoustic guitar yeah. and just with a voice. One of my, um, the, one of my favorite gigs of all times I ever went to was Ray Davis sat in a concert, a full concert hall with everybody around him with just an acoustic guitar telling me stories of how these songs came around. We're talking like we're talking now, but interspersed in between that, you'd have, um, you know, Lazy Sunday Afternoon, then, you know, all those kind of things. Then you go, wow. And that came from where? And then he'd go, and then he'd stop partway through. He said, yeah, this bit, I was fighting with my brother when this happened. And, you know, and he'd tell you something else. It was going, great. You know, got through to me in a way that, that nothing else has in terms of um, that instant, uh, understandability about how you constructed and, and you did this. Most of the time when we go to a gig, we're watching them perform it and, and give us the, the production of doing it. And I get that and understand it and I love that as well. But I like that, the intimacy of just a guitar playing the famous song that was, was written with three or four chords and then the story behind it, how it came about. It was a girlfriend that ditched me and it was this and that, that, that you know, and those kind of things. Love that. It's like you're getting the director's cut in live, yes. right? Yes, yes, that's and a great. It, kind of, it really does augment the compositions. Yes, totally so, totally right? so. So we we kind of do that from time to time with different things. I mean, a couple of years ago we did that with um, with "Won't Stop Loving You." We did a a string and an acoustic version of it, which is something I've kind of always wanted to do because it's such a great song and it lends itself to that, you know. And we did it with no drums. Because again, as you know, to produce a great song and not have drums in it is, is a very difficult thing. But hey, Chopin did it. Um, all those guys did it for hundreds of years. No drum kit. Loudest sounds you've ever heard on the planet with no, no, no drum kit in there. Obviously percussion and, and, and stuff. But uh, you, know, you, take a, you take a lead from them then, don't you, in, in terms of how it's produced and how you work your production ideas. So we might relook and revisit things like that again, but it's just nice to know that you can, you know, if, if needed. When you do that, do you innovate and find percussive elements in different, in different yes, places? in different ways, yeah, absolutely so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look at it in a different way. When it's stripped down, you find, um, it finds you and you find different elements around it as well that you realized were there that you didn't accentuate, you know, or, or elements that were uh, played highly in the production that you could, you could undervalue a little bit and get exactly the same thing. I had a friend years ago who was a chef and if we went to dinner, 
I could, her food would come and she'd take her fork and I could see her pulling the food apart, trying to figure out yeah, what, I was how it was made, right? Which, which was not like the most fun thing to watch, right? Because you're like, no. oh, here we go. She, she's going to work. Um, yeah. Has there ever been something that you've, that you've listened to where you've done that in your brain, where you're pulling it apart from a production standpoint and you can't figure out what's happened? Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, the, not so much in a production thing, more in when I'm listening to another drummer or another uh, musician constructing something and you're not there. So for instance, um, with drums, it'll be things like, you know, really fast rolls or tricky little incidents that happen in between. And you've got to sit down and work out, how did this human with the same amount of limbs as me construct that? How, where would the brain, first of all? So, so the first thing you have to do is you have to work out the start point and the end point. So you know how they started, and then you've got to figure out how they ended. Then you've got to put all that bit in the middle to then try and make it work. And for years, that was the thing when I was learning drums, because that's how you had to, had to learn. I'd hear something wonderful on, say, something like Tower of Power, um, and hear this fantastic element of rhythm with, with stuff going in, but with a hi-hat in this weird place. And I'm like, oh, I know that's not an overdub. How the hell, what's he doing? What time's he counting? Well, who, who's he playing off? Which part of the band is he, is he linked to? Who, who's he hearing? You know, and then that's, I think, how I've kind of developed my um, technique of being able to orchestrate. I've always said that. I orchestrate when I'm playing because I'm listening to everybody. I'm obviously locked into jazz, bass player. We're always pretty solid but then I'm, I'm uh, these days I'm more moving over to what the keyboard guy's doing and, and playing in and off that you know because we're playing in little incidental things between us um, Martin who's multi-instrumentalist has got loads of things going on now and I'm playing bouncing stuff off him so but I'm not just saying me I'm, when I say me I mean the we we all do that you know what I mean we all do that all the time which is brilliant one of the great things about being in a certain ratio which I've just realised this year after lots of, after the forty odd <laughs> years is that we're actually uh, quite a few bands thrown in together as one element. Do you know what I mean? We're not just one thing. We're we're um, lots of different elements of that trying to create something. Were drums the very first instrument for you as a kid? Is that you got behind the kit and that was your first musical? Form? No, no, it was the piano first. Piano. Yeah, yeah, I played piano first. I've lost all that now, that was years ago. <laughs> I've still got a little bit of it, but not as, not as good as. No, it was piano, uh, and it was my brother that... I was one of those kids, I had, I, that's weird. I had this conversation, me and Matt Joyce are great friends, and we, we talk as, as often as we can. And when we're on the phone, we're on the phone for about an hour and a half, every, every chat, drum chat, live chat, you know, everything. And what we found out the other week uh, was that we were both into, uh, when we were first starting to play, we played with knitting needles, yeah? Because obviously you, you're, just, you're just moving your hands, you weren't moving your feet and doing, you know, all that kind of, you were playing hi-hats and bass and pedals, but you were playing stuff. And I found myself playing um, all, because I'm a little bit older than Mark, I was playing stuff like um, uh, uh, International Rescue and, and uh, you know, uh, those old kind of great 60s um, themes from TV themes and all that, you know, playing them on the side of the council, beating out the rhythms and all that kind of thing. And um, one thing me and Mike locked into was a Captain Scarlet. And I remember 
great quote from Mikey. He went, wow, that production was lost on us kids. <laughs> you know, because it's a big stream thing and everything. You know, he said, God, that's just lost. That element's lost on all of us. But it's weird. We both started playing um, on our mum's setties, being chased around and get off that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and that rhythm element kind of stays with you. And you just, and then it was my brother then that, that kind of caught that, um, you know, um, that kid that's, that's the volcano erupting. How do I, how do I can control this? And it was him who went out and bought me a kit, you know, and then and sat me down, started teaching me the, the, the gave me those basic elements of, of what you've got to do. He'd give me certain records to study and then um and he'd keep giving me records and moving on and, and that's how i kind of learned myself but going back to that bit you, that me and you were talking about before how do you deconstruct someone gives you a record you know it's different now remember if i had youtube in 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 those days me and you'd be having this from my private island in somewhere i don't know where because that i would have been able to make a lot more a lot quicker yeah um, I, I always kind of joke about that now because you can see it. That's the difference that the kids have now that we didn't have before. You had to use your imagination to find out what was what. And it was listening intensely to a record. Now, remember, in those days, you had to, when you were using a needle, you'd place it on the place that you'd need it to be just before it, go back over to, to the bed or wherever you were, you were miming and doing whatever, start playing, hit the floor too hard, the needle jumps and you go, shit, then you've got to go back and go and start again. Now, they just stop or they just loop the bit that they, they're trying to listen to, to learn. And it's a great learning tool that you can learn it so much quicker. I like the idea that you had to, you had to troll to get it because you now learn why it exists, how it exists, what you can create with it, how you can recreate it, how can you, you can reform it, how you can um, push, pull, lift, lower, you know, those kind of things with it, not just, just learn it. Now, there's a lot of people that just learn it. It's like Miles Davis said, anybody can play the notes, but it's the motherfucker who plays the notes with the most, you know, impact in it. That those are the ones you're going to listen to. And that's right. And I also think that there's a certain level of creativity which comes out of struggle, um, yeah. right? So if you had, to, you had to really work to get that, to hear it and to find it and don't, don't yeah. you know, don't move too quickly or the needle jumps, I think that there's a certain kind of, because you really had to earn it, um, yeah. you know, that it's that a higher level. That's what I, is, yeah. you know. I, I, you know what, that's exactly how I am with, with instruments, with, with trying to find things. You know, if I'm playing around on the guitar or whatever, and I don't know the chord, but I love the flavor of, of whatever it is. I the fact that I don't know that this should be um, a node that works within seven chords that fit make that, you know, I don't, I, I get what that is, but that hasn't taught me what I'm, I'm I listen to the, the, um, the texture, like you, you said before, of how that note blends. Yeah. How, it re how it really works. Not the fact that it should be a major ninth with a 50 minute whatever. I don't want to know that. I want to I get, I want to find it and go, this is what I'm playing. And someone might say, it's a 50 minute with a whatever. And I go, yeah, it's still this note. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Right. And I think you're 100% right because that is exactly my kind of MO on everything. You know, whether the same with, think about it when you've, I've talked about this a lot with different friends. Think about that moment, for instance, like when you see a classic film like Mean Streets or whatever. Okay. Right? Remember now that take go back to when it first came out. Not you've re-seen it now. When you first see it and it wasn't there. Kubrick's uh um you know uh, space Odyssey, <laughs> Odyssey, yeah. Imagine seeing that for the first time ever, and there's no other reference point to it. 
But the thing that you remember is you know how good it is and you know what it is. And at some point in there, you're not thinking this, but you know it's good and you know it's good for some reason. Then years and years later, people are telling you it's this masterpiece, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. But your brain worked that out without being told that for the first time when you were seeing it and when you, and when you saw it with, um, you know, it's like if you see a great television series or you hear a great piece of music or you, you know, let's say for the first time you heard Shaft, everybody can relate to Shaft, yeah? You hear Shaft, you hear those hi-hats high in the mix, blah, 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 all that's going through. Then you hear the cool, hey, you know, voice kind of in the middle of everything. You go back to what the film was all about. It was about pimping this, that, and whatever. And, the whole thing. and it still stands up today because it hits. Every button, it's still a great production in terms of music. It still looks, it's introspective within itself of the time, i.e., um, I, I would call it dirty New York then. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Right? That period. You, get, you get what I mean? It's, oh, yeah. Uh, before it was all, all kind of clean up, when it was a bit more gritty. Let's call it gritty, gritty New York. Um, and it's totally relatable. So every time I see that, the opening credits for that film, it just takes me back to the point when I was there in the, in the I mean, I didn't went there in 1980 or whatever, but it still kind of looked like that. Those, the, the taxi cabs in Taxi, the actual program, you know, you know what I mean? That's the period of when I was there. And that's the New York I love for the, my first experience of New York. But seeing those cabs here in Manchester, five, 6,000 miles away, you know, I'm going to America and going, Wow, yeah, they, they are there. You know, you know that kind of, kind of thing. But you see what I mean about the fact that you, you will know something, you won't necessarily know why, but you'll take it, well, I do, I'll, I'll take it with me and go, well, I like that, regardless of, of, of what others are going to tell me that it is. And years and years later, you find out these things are classics, you know, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? You know, um, uh, Barry Gordy didn't want it to happen. Wasn't this, 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 this is going to kill your career, it's this, that. He said everything that was wrong. 40 odd years later, that record still standing up against major, major, major talent, you know, still standing up. So it's like what you're saying is it kind of plants a seed that kind of flowers later. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's like, it's like everything. And that's what we kind of got to learn. It's not the problem we kind of got now about everything is everybody wants everything now. I know. You know? I our cab bang dial it. It's, it's there before I've even finished the last digit. You know, boom. It's it's something. I want a pizza. Same deal. Nowadays, you can you can buy a car without go, leaving the house, and it'll be it'll be delivered. It'll be you know. It, it's it's all those kind of things. Not that it's wrong. We've moved on, and that's where we're progressing to. But there is this element about kind of you know, if me and you go to a clothes shop and we see a leather jacket, but we get to feel what the leather jacket feels like and, and then put it on and feel how it fits over the shoulders and underneath of this. We can see it on the picture, it looks wonderful because it's been photographed with the right lighting and right. you know all the things that are supposed to draw you in. But we've got to put it on the body to go, mm, the sleeves are a little short or it's a bit tight around the yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the experience that you, you wait for. Well I think you've also just explained the problem with online dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> never quite looked at it that way. <laughs> you gotta I mean, see the person, man. man. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody's got the good lighting at their house. They know how to do it. Um, yeah. Well, I know, I know, I have to let you go, but I gotta say, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for for just doing that sort of that focused chat with me about about this stuff. It's really interesting to me. Oh, well, it. it it's just being real and sometimes you don't get to be asked those questions you're asked all those other things about other things but then you know 
I think most creative people are introspective about themselves and trying to learn why and how and how, how do you do things. For instance, my guys for years and years and years have said to me, do that thing you do at, at, uh, when, we, when we do um, the, the, the sound check. I'm not thinking about what that is. That just happens. So for years, for 40 years, I've been trying to recreate whatever that was from the last right. thing and not, and not doing it because it's unsuccessful because the thing they heard, that was the thing you should have recorded and that was how it was going to be. And I didn't know and they didn't know that that was going to happen then. But it's moved on. It's a, now it's a new breed of the same thing. You know, um, and I think it's important to sort of uh, look into yourself and find out why things are there. Make your own decisions about why you like, why you don't like, why you're going to have the journey, why, what you're looking at different things. Me and you can read different books, watch different films. What, we st can still be friends. We can find a common ground with something, yeah. whether, it's a, whether it's the way someone uses a phraseology in a sentence you know, whether it's, uh, you know, all those kind of things. And I think you're dead right about this whole, everybody's got the right light and all this. It's, it's the Instagram age of everybody wants to look good and have the perfect life. It's, it's, it's not. Recently, we, we just took some pictures and did some things and people are sending things back. And I'm like, look, guys, you've chose the ones that are all right. That's fine. Go with it. I, if, if I was going to sit there and do the vanity thing, I could pull a lot of vanity things out about myself that I don't like. But the instant I showed you that picture, you go, wow, God, that looks great. You're not going to pick up on any of those, those things. You get what I mean? Yes. You go, oh, I love the lighting or I love, the, the, I love what you're trying to do or whatever. You're not going to see the spot or the, you know, the, the thing that, that I'm seeing. Yeah. And that's too, it's too much now. You know, everybody doing that whole kind of the, the, the selfie thing and, and whatever. And I always have to look great and whatever. Um, a funny story. The first, the very first selfie I ever did, I did with Denise. Uh, Denise Johnson, who, who sadly passed. Oh, yeah. And me, me and Denise, I am not joking. We went to go and see a friend of ours called Aziz. And he was playing a, he was playing a little gig in Stockport. And we went to go and see him. And me and Denise sat there and said, right, should we take a selfie? And I am not joking. For 25 minutes, we couldn't, you know how they get, get it right? They couldn't do it. Me and Denise cracked Oh, we were just laughing at ourselves because we knew with this adult, uh, we're, we're adults of a certain age. They've got no concept of how to even take this simple thing. We're doing it, it was of our shoes, it was of, of the too high, it was the thing, you were getting the arm in, you were doing the whole, because you just don't do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. And these, these kids do, you know, that kind of thing. And they know exactly how to do it. They get a look on their face, they know the angle. I have no <laughs> idea. You know, it's Correct. like, I, I'm 50. I, I, and by the way, frankly, it's, it's kind of a relief not to have to be worried about that shit for a while. You I know? totally agree. That's the whole point of getting to this age. You did that when you were kids. Now, don't. Jack Nicholson never did it. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> no. And he did fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, yeah, just, just kind of go with it. Well, um, congratulations on the on the album. It's absolutely marvelous. I'm so happy to have it. And uh, from a fan's perspective, I've just I've loved you guys since I was 16. And it's just, you know, it's a marvelous, marvelous album. Yes, we're, we're very pleased with it. I think it's struck all the right elements about everything about us. It's culminated at the right time. Um, it's great to do something like this with uh, a record company like New who... I, I, I can't explain how good it is to work with other creatives that are like you, you know? Like, I sit here 250 miles away from them, right? And they have the same creative energy as me there for the same things I want. And I don't have to think about it because they already 
they already do it. But they'll advise me, they'll say, should we do this? Or we're thinking of doing that, are we? And it's the things that you're already thinking of. And it's wonderful to have a full team who kind of work like that behind you. It's not about selling 10 billion records. It's about getting the right good record out there. Do you know what I mean? It'd be great to do it. Of course we're here to, to try and make that happen. But if it doesn't happen, none of us, they're not, mute and not fussed. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? They know it was a good record. You know, we did everything in our power to make what we've got as good as we can and to get it to people that we need. And it's just wonderful having those creatives around you. So I think that's also an element that's made this album kind of come about the way that it did. Because the only thing they, they guided us on was, look guys, we just want 10 tracks. We know you guys, you'll do a double, triple album or whatever, no. Just focus on doing 10. And it was their kind of cool way of just going, go on, just be focused, just, just stay around that element. And they were 100% right, 100% right. And we, we, we just kind of love them. We listen to what they, 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 they uh, have there for us, you know, and, and how to put it out. And it, it is that kind of, I describe Mute as factory records with O levels that mm -hmm. also took, took the financial module. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of how it's still there. And it's, and it's nice to be around that. I think that their curatorial yeah. element is really what makes them so marvelous. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, they're looking at everything. You know, they, they, they're not looking to sign four other ratios or six other, uh, uh, you know, uh, new orders or what. They're not, they're not interested in all of that. And believe me, to be involved, they've got to like you. It's right. not... It doesn't start from the financial element. It starts from whether they like you or not. Yeah, there's none of, oh, we can make money or we can't make money or we could put them here. None of that nonsense exists, yeah? That doesn't. They go, do we like these guys? Do, can we see what they're doing? Are they, are, you know what I mean? They have their own little criteria about doing it. And you know what? It's worked for them and it's worked so far. We, we're now in the family and we, we love it. Yeah, it's, they're a marvelous, <clears throat> marvelous label. I'm so glad they're still around and doing it in such a high quality way. Um, yeah. Well, man, I, I hope you'll come back on the show. I, I love chatting with you. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Any, anytime. Just give us the invite and we're there. Done, my man. Hey, congratulations and uh, get back out there on the road when it's safe, plus six months. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. great guy isn't he that was such a fun conversation uh a certain ratio are back and uh the album is called acr loco it's phenomenal get it uh don't make me describe it for you i can't do it it's just remarkable and singular trust me okay all right well you heard some of the songs i'm sure you uh i'm sure you were intrigued and i'm sure you're uh defying explanation in all the same ways that i am or perhaps you're just smarter than I am and you're having no problem with it at all. ACRMCR.com is where you're going to find a certain ratio. Go visit them. See what they're up to. They're busy now, and, uh, and we're all better for it. I'm busy too. I'm uh, working on a new novel, and I'm plugging my latest, Malroe and the Midnight Organ Fight. Uh, go to alexgreenonline.com. Visit me there. 
and uh, it'll take you to all the paths that you need to take to find out about my work. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, give us a rating, tell a friend. I know it sounds like a lot of work, but it's just a button or two. And thank you in advance for pressing them. Uh, bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes this radio station tick. You can also follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or all these all these different options. You can just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. From their brand new ACR Loco album, let's take a longer listen to Friends Around Us by a Certain Ratio. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. What I think of you, what you think of me. Who gives a damn?